there is no such thing as a selfish act when you're taking care of yourself. That self-love has to come first. And what we've kind of come around to, I think, thinking and seeing is that it's that self-examination. It's that constant self, what am I doing here? How am I presenting myself? Am I being authentic? Am I being real? And what am I hiding? Am I missing the biases that I'm carrying? And so, yeah, I think definitely focus on love, but begin with self and begin with really recognizing who we are. And it's okay to admit that we're just imperfect human souls trying to do the best we can. I'm Janet Ioli, and you're listening to Power Presence Academy, practical wisdom for leaders. If you're looking for leadership mentoring, advice, or just a dose of inspiration, I've got you covered. Join me as I share leadership tips and lessons of experience from experts and from executives at the top of their game. This is your go-to place for all things leadership. It doesn't have to be lonely at the top. Let's go. How can we create workplaces where we lead with love and laughter. And Lord knows we need more love and laughter in our workplaces. For all of the, all of you listening, whether you're working in an organization that is a corporation, whether you're working in a nonprofit or government organization or a healthcare institution or educational institution, no matter what organization you're working in, think about the climate and think about the culture that you're creating. And we don't often use the word love when we talk about organizations because love is a separate thing. And, you you know, I can't love my employees. I can't love the people around me. Well, my guests today would argue with you on that. And they actually wrote an amazing book called Leading with Love and Laughter and how we can bring more love and laughter into our workplaces. And I have Zena Such who leads the Office of Diversity, Inclusion, and Civil Rights at the Small Business Administration, and who prior to that role, she's held positions at the Office of Personnel Management and the United States Department of Agriculture. So she has a long background as an executive in the government. And then the co-author and my other guest today, and someone who I've known for, wow, probably 13 years now, and we work together at American University in the key executive programs, is Patrick Malone. And he's the director of the key executive leadership programs at American University. He's also a retired Navy captain. So he knows the military environment very well. And he served 23 years in a number of leadership and policy roles in the U.S. Navy. Now, Zena and Patrick are a couple and they live on a sailboat somewhere on the bay, depending on the wind. So you're in for a treat today as I talk to Zena and Patrick about their deep knowledge of leadership, but also about leading with love and laughter. So as I said, I'm so delighted to have you both on the show today because I so resonate with what you're doing and the work you're doing. But before we get started, I just to hear a little bit about your backgrounds and your own leadership journeys so that the audience can get to know you a little bit. So I guess I'll start ladies first. 
Yes. And my career really started in education, in middle school, high school education, moved up into federal government leadership development programs, and then rose the ranks up into the executive level in federal government. And I was fortunate that my degrees were all in the area of emotional and behavioral disorders. And I really do think that those skills that I built there helped me become a better leader. And so then I was introduced to Patrick's program and got involved in that program and I'm now faculty there. So I teach leadership development programs for Patrick's Key Executive Leadership Program. And that's how we met and that's where we are now. <laughs> yeah. And, and I started my career in healthcare administration in the private sector, moved into doing healthcare admin as part of the Department of the Navy. And about midway through the Navy career, ended up getting involved in leadership development. The Navy sent me back for my PhD and then came back and was on the medical school staff for many years. And when I retired, I just transitioned over to American University where I'd been teaching for some time and took over the key executive leadership program and have been working with leaders throughout government nonprofits ever since. So thanks for sharing that because I think people are always wondering, so how did they get to do what they're doing and why are they doing what they're doing? But I want to ask you this question that's coming to me. You both have been in leadership development for a while, right? And working with leaders and helping leaders develop. And you know, I'm in that field as well. What's changed and evolved in your thinking about leadership over the years? Oh, he's looking at me, so I'll go. <laughs> I think for me, initially, people were really focused on getting certifications, taking leadership development courses, picking up the lingo, the word of the day or the acronym of the day. Lots of books are coming out. And many people started thinking, hey, if I read this book or if I take this course or if I get a black belt or a blue belt or whatever is out there, that is what I need to be a great leader. And what I think Patrick and I kind of started talking about was, yeah, you need that, but you're missing the biggest part of what we think leadership is about. And it's about the human connection. It's about recognizing that you can implement, you can follow an, a process or a system to a T and yet still not be that leader that motivates people, engages people and has people wanting to be there and working with you. And so that's when we started focusing on that human aspect of that connection, that love that we talk about in the book a lot is that we are ignoring a huge piece of not only ourselves as leaders and the people that we're leading, but we're ignoring a huge piece in what we would consider to be really good leadership development. And I think I had a similar experience to Zena in that early in my career, I remember very clearly this concept of my colleagues. They would talk about all the time punching their ticket. I'm going to do this and punch my ticket and then I'll punch my ticket and then I'll punch my ticket and I'll just be this great leader and then I'll punch my ticket and I'll get promoted and I'll punch the ticket and then I'll get this assignment. And it occurred to me, that's not what leadership really is. It's not a series of steps that you take to where you automatically get to label yourself that way. And when we first started talking about this book, we, we were having this conversation about, well, then what is it? If it's not that, then what is it? And that's how I think my thinking has changed as well over the years. Yeah. yeah when you think about it you, and you meet a leader, and we kept saying this through all the courses that we delivered to executives at and different levels across federal government, private, public, we kept saying there's an X factor. I hate to use that word because oh, that's absolutely, but there is, there's something about that leader. And that is how that whole human connection leading with love and laughter came about because we believe great leaders connect 
down to the core. They remove all those barriers that we have learned to put on top of ourselves to cover us, to create that hard shell on the outside. And we're tapping now into our own humanity to be able to connect with others. I still resonate with your comments as someone who works in this field as well. And I'm seeing exactly the same is that people are always looking for what are the tips? What are the steps? How do I do this? If I do these four things, will I be branded a leader? And I'm so with you on that. I want to ask you this because I think it's so relevant to what you're talking about. Recently, I think it was in April, I interviewed Joseph Jaworski and he wrote the book, Synchronicity, the Inner Path to Leadership. And he's 88 years old and he was talking about the inner path and a lot of the same types of things that we're talking about here. And when I asked him, I said, okay, from all your experience working on scenarios at Royal Dutch Shell and all of MIT's, he was one of the founders of the organizational learning at MIT. What do you think leaders should focus on? Like, what should they be? What's your advice? And his advice was focus on love. And so I think of that when I think of you, because of the title of your book is leading with love and laughter, right? Or is it laughter and love or love and laughter? What do you think about that? It sounds like those two things are bridging together. So talk about that. Yeah, I think that's a beautiful sentiment. And one of the things that we talked about in the book was this idea of love, of self-love, and that being the most crucial kind of love. When you were when you were telling that story about him, I thought, well, what would I say to that? I'd, I'd probably say focus on self, only because there's a wonderful book by a guy named Parker Palmer who wrote this book called Let Your Life Speak. And in that book, he says that there is no such thing as a selfish act when you're taking care of yourself, that self-love has to come first. And what we've kind of come around to, I think, thinking and seeing is that it's that self-examination. It's that constant self, what am I doing here? How am I presenting myself? Am I being authentic? Am I being real? And what am I hiding? Am I missing the biases that I'm carrying? And so, yeah, I think definitely focus on love, but begin with self and begin with really recognizing who we are. And it's okay to admit that we're just imperfect human souls trying to do the best we can. That doesn't make us less impactful as a big, bad leader. It just makes us human. And I think that over the years we've seen in leadership development, it's it's just been, it's one layer after another of one thing after another, and it never really ever comes back to soul. It never comes back to self. There's a very popular organization in this part of the country that puts out this government leadership report every year, and they talk about crafting the next generation of government leaders. And everyone gets all excited when this report comes out. And and it's so silly, Jan, because the last time that came out, and I've seen this come out every year, and everyone gets all excited, and it's full of matrices and graphics and all these beautiful colors. And oh, by the way, guess what? You can hire them to come in and tell you how to do this, which is no big shock. But nowhere in those documents do you see the word love. Nowhere. You see them nowhere. How can you craft leaders without talking about love? I think that was a lovely sentiment. What do you think? I would agree with what you're talking about the self. and But I want to shift it to thinking about when this gentleman said, focus on love, my first thought was, you focus on love because if you can find that love for yourself within the workplace, just imagine how much better your work day is as a leader. It resonates. If you're feeling that joy about your job, joy about the people, you feel connected to those around you. Every day that you are working, every day that you have to go in and deal with all of the bureaucracy and the rules and the forms and the everything else that leaders have to focus on, deliverables, on the mission, 
your joy doesn't come from filling out the paperwork. Your joy doesn't come from meeting that priority goal. Your joy comes from the people that you lead. And so I think when he said focus on love, it resonated with me on both sides, not just love of self, but the fact that if you love yourself and you can find love for the people that work for you, your life has changed now. And that becomes the focus of your leadership instead of all of those priority goals and the documents and the deliverables and the the mission. Even though mission is important, where do you get your joy? So I feel like I'm talking to kindred spirits, right? Because I think we're on the same wavelength on all of these things. And I would also ask, I know there are people listening who are thinking, and this would be an objection to what we're trying to convey here, is, okay, all of this is great, but I'm trying to lead an organization. I'm trying to get results. I'm not there to get too personal, right? When I get too personal, it clouds judgment. What you're talking about is a little ethereal. It's somebody would say, I heard somebody talk about this the other day is to kumbaya. The world isn't like that. We're here to do stuff. And so that's all great. Janet, Patrick, Zena, and we've got a job to deliver. What would you say? What's your reaction to that? Oh, you really want to know? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's ridiculous, Jan. And it ignores millions of years of evolutionary history. It's ridiculous because these artificial things we've created called organization, well, we've got to just get serious. It's just stupid. Can you do it? And yeah, we've seen leaders that have been successful by some measure. They Maybe they run big organizations or whatever, and they're these big, bad, grumpy, scary, and it's all these big leaders. Do they have success? Yeah, they can, of course. Do they have as much success as organizations where people feel cared for and loved? Do they have as much innovation? No. Their operating costs are going to be higher. Their turnover is going to be higher everything about what they do. Could they meet some metrics, meet some goals? Of course they can. But And people point to, to leaders that we've heard of in the past that have had those. But you know what? There are always people under them that are creating the better environments. And the science supports that the science supports the benefits of feeling love in an organization and feeling laughter and joy in an organization in terms of our creativity, our ability to be innovative. And I think it's a weak argument. I think it's an argument of fear because what we've seen with our leaders, the senior leaders that we work with, what they're afraid of is feeling. They're afraid of that. And it's the easiest thing in the world to use that frontal cortex and create some strategic direction. But come on. But when you've got to be empathetic, when you've actually got to reach down inside yourself and pull a thing out, that's where courage is. Yes, that's where the courage is. That's where the human connection is. And for anyone to say that it's anything other than that, it's just an artificial argument, at least in my mind. Yeah, I think that Patrick's right on, and I'll just build on this whole fear thing, because being vulnerable is scary. However, sticking with a structure and just focusing on mission and program and project management and deliverables and all of that, you can get your teams to work. You will get them to give you nine to five. You will get them to do the bare minimum so that they're performance evaluation meets the mark at the end of the year. Compliance. But exactly. You're right. complying. You're doing what's being asked of you. But the leader that has that person thinking outside of the box, being free to suggest solutions that have never been thought of before, 
having that safe psychological space where people can bring everything that they have to the table and then give you discretionary energy, give you discretionary time, but they're thinking about their organization and their program, not for just the solutions and the projects, but more of, okay, how am I going to help out my colleagues here? This is not just their problem. This is our problem. So those people who say, oh, I don't want to get too personal. You have to use well, a deeper voice when you do that. N- no, it's I'm going to use my voice. My voice is just perfect. <laughs> Those leaders that say that, I think Patrick is right. They're afraid to have that vulnerability within their space, within the space that they work in. But it also is those layers that people have put on themselves that they carry around with them with all the should. As a leader, I should be not approachable. As a leader, I'm wearing my label. That label carries a certain status, but you're not going to get optimal performance from your employees. Your team's not going to be an optimally performing team. You're going to, people are afraid to make mistakes. And that's where we know a lot of growth comes from. There's all sorts of research out there that you can do about optimal performance and the impact that people who are feeling loved and cared for their stress levels are lower. That means it frees them up to being able to give their all. In all the research, Zena mentioned the research, research out of Microsoft for the last several years, and you see this in other organizations as well. It all says that the number one factor in mission accomplishment, regardless of organization, is always psychological safety. Always. Number one, always. It's not infrastructure. It's not financial planning. It's not strategic design. It's not design thinking, whatever that is. It's simply psychological safety. And it's not that you don't hold people accountable. In fact, you absolutely do. But it's a whole lot easier to do that in an environment that's marked by love and joy than it is in an environment that's not. And guess what? Fewer lawsuits too. So yeah, yeah, it's just, it's the number one thing. And you just touched on, Patrick, you just touched on what my next question was going to be, because I think where the these things meet and where people have trouble with is the accountability part. It's okay. If I have this environment, how do I hold people accountable? How do I still maintain the ability to have a performance standard and say, okay, you're accountable to that if I'm just in this mode of love and joy and making sure that I'm keeping people psychologically safe. What would you say to that? You know what? You hold me accountable all the time in an <laughs> environment of love. And so I want it's to hear so you. How do you do that? I would say uh, <laughs> the closer, I love it. Yeah, the closer that you feel to your employees, the better you know them, which means the better it is for you or you are better at being able to deliver that kind of message. Deliver the message that, hey, we're not meeting the mark here. What are we going to do? I've had these conversations with my employees, employees that I feel very connected to. I know about their personal lives. They've shared with me things about them that really does show faith and respect and trust of me. And yet I still can deliver that message of, hey, we're not meeting the mark here. We were supposed to do X, Y, and Z by such and such a time. We are falling behind. We This needs to change. This can't happen again. Those kinds of things can still come out of supervisor, leaders, managers' mouth, but it's even received better because that person genuinely knows you're not doing this as punishment. You're not doing this as because you're a boss or because you have that. You're doing this because you all are one team and everything you do matters to meet the mission. And so it is not 
separate and apart. It is, you cannot separate love and kindness and caring from delivering difficult to deliver messages, even letting people go. Because if that love is there, that person already knows it's not about them and the relationship that they're in a safe space, but yet they're not working out. I think you cannot do one without the other effectively. Yeah. Yeah. The tough love part of it. There's a piece of that there. So if I could talk to you all day about this topic because I find it so important. I'm just enamored by the fact that you all put this together. Let me ask you this, because I know we're running out of time. Based on the research you have in your book, based on your experience, what do you think the biggest piece of advice would be that you would give to leaders about how to lead with love and laughter more? I'm looking at Patrick. I'm going to make him go first. Yeah, I think the word that pops into my mind is relax. Mm. Just relax for a minute. There are so many artificial deadlines and artificial constraints that we put on ourselves. There are very few types of work where the decisions are truly emergent or life-changing or life-threatening. There's just a handful of those. And even in those professions, there's only a handful of moments in those professions when those things occur. So not everything is a big urgent emergency. And I think that sometimes we feel as leaders that when we're being pressured by, in our world, an accrediting body or university president or something like that, we're being pushed to do something. You know, actually, we're not. We can all take a step back here. And I think with leaders, my recommendation is to just relax, do a little journaling, do a little meditation, look around, absorb a little more, and try to be a bit more balanced in the way that you view your work compared to the rest of your life and think about the lives of those that you lead. Those things matter, but it takes a deep breath. It takes that pause. And I know that in this hyperactive world with all of the data running around, it's hard to do that. That's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know what word, I don't think I can only say one word, but I would say be courageous and do things a little bit differently just to feel what it feels like to be a little bit more vulnerable in the workplace, to be a little bit more open. That kind of step that you might take, do it and persevere through it. You will be fine. This is what makes a great leader. Remove all those layers that you have put upon yourself. Remove the shoulds. In a way, it is relax. It's yeah, the be same. You. Be, Just be you. Be Yeah, be you, because that's what's going to connect with people. When we are our titles, we're not being who we are. If someone knows me, or Zena, or you, and they know a little bit about us, and it doesn't have to be overly personal. It can just be just a connection of some sort. It brings people together. And we can't do that if we're always trying to create those barriers, I think. Know thyself. Know thyself. Oh, oh, I love it. It's interesting, because my next question I was going to ask you I ask this to every one of my guests is what's an inspirational quote or a motto or something that you would leave the audience with? And so I'm hearing know thyself. Know thyself. Very loudly, because that seems to where it all starts. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and anything that Maya Angelou has ever said, I would put that in there. (laughs) He's a big fan. Give us one. Give us one, Patrick. Give us one. Be a rainbow. Be a rainbow. Yeah. Wow. That has a lot of implications. That's a great one. Beautiful thought. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so know thyself and be a rainbow. I love it. Okay. So those are your parting quotes that you're giving us. And then finally, 
the last final question I'm asking. See, I keep going. I keep saying the final question and I have another one, but there's so much here at Richness. People are going to have a link to be able to access your book and all that. And I would just ask you, what could they find in your book that you think would be valuable for them to look for and read? Things to try. I think throughout the book, what we keep saying is not do this. What we say is try this. Try it. And when people try something for the first time, it may not work and it may not feel right. So try something a little different. And we give that kind of outline or some helpful hints on what you could be trying in your workspace that won't get you in trouble because people think, oh, love, if I exude love, that's going to get me in trouble at work. Know the difference here. (laughs) Or if I become a comedian. Or if I become a It's not the use of humor. Don't do that. You don't have to be a joke teller. That's not the key. Yeah. So yeah, we have a section at the end of each chapter that says, just try this. And it's just try it. And they don't always work because it's going to be individual to each person, depending on what we bring to the table. But yeah, so, so just try. I love that. And it's interesting. We're always looking for prescriptions. Even when you go to the doctor, you're, it's like you do this. Well, it doesn't always work for everybody. It's, you got to try this. You try this medication, you put it up, you put it down, you try this. I love it. I think this is great. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today and bringing us a little bit of love and laughter. Thank you, Janet. It was great being with you. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening. And always remember this. Every single moment, you have a choice in what you say, what you do, and how you make people feel. Pause and make those choices wisely and intentionally. Because every single moment, those choices are who you become as a leader. See you next time.